Thank you, Becky Robinson. Start us off. I found Becky at the Comedy Hideaway. That's right, I found her. I discovered her. And now she's all set. She's done my podcast. Another career has been launched. I saw her at the Comedy Hideaway with Eric Myers, and they were a great one-two punch. Becky has this playful, girlish, Saturday Night Live feel, and Eric Myers is more like uh, Bobcat Goldwaith. It was a good combination, a good chemistry, if you will. Like if you're preparing a meal, you know, potatoes and steak go well together. Better than potatoes and some other metaphor fill in the blank. They say that I'm really good with uh, analogies, which is like something. Thank you. Uh, Becky wanted to do her introduction a second time, and I said no. Flat out refused. I want to keep it real. It's all about leaving in the outtakes. That's what podcasts are about. After all, I did discover her. Welcome to the Labor of Love podcast. I'm Jason Love. Just finished a string of gigs, a run that ended up in um, uh, northern Arizona, Flagstaff area, and I had no idea. I've been to Arizona a thousand times and assumed that it was endless sand people. Bless their hearts, but I thought that's all it was. There is a part of Arizona near the Grand Canyon that is pine trees and mountains. They had a Whole Foods. What? In the middle of nowhere, it felt like Portland. There were long-haired guys on, on you know, hiking. It was just, it, I really felt at home among my fellow space cadets. It was nature lovers, tree huggers. Uh, the gig itself was uh, at a casino on a reservation. And the casino, very nice. It uh, still has that new casino smell. It's only a few years old, and there was everything was just a notch above. You know, the decor. In the bathroom, I got a toiletry kit. Huh? You know what was in it? Two cotton balls and two Q-tips. Talk about vain. But they made the effort. Checkout time, late checkout, 1.30. Thank you. First time I've ever broken 1 o'clock, and I'm like, if the hotel's not full, full why not? Is your service person in that great of a hurry? Thank you. Reservation. Thank you, Navajo people, after we decimated you. I hope they make bazillion dollars off the reservations and they they get back to the roots. Or they invest them in arms and take the country back over as soon as I'm able to flee to Canada because I'm uh, I'm on your side. Is it possible to bomb on your own podcast in front of nobody? I think that's what I'm doing. But the gig itself was great. It was lightly attended, but in this case, it was more about quality, not quantity. The people who showed up laughed heartily, and I loved them for it. And it made me feel free to play, so I kept it mostly in the moment. I had a lot of fun with the, um, the room. They left the TVs on, so I'm like, that's great, so you have options. <laughs> and uh, I've performed for tens of people all over Arizona. We got to meet everybody individually. I had just driven from uh, Pine Top, Arizona, another gorgeous place, and really on a reservation to the point where they were selling fry bread. Yeah, that's deep in the reservation. I loved it. I felt like I was you know, part of a culture that really shouldn't admit me, being blonde hair, blue eye, 
little Ellen guy. Um, but uh, I'd driven on this the long freeway, and they had signs, and all the digital signs said, Drive hammered, get nailed. <laughs> Isn't that adorable? Now, does the highway patrol have a rider punching up the signs? <laughs> He's like, oh, oh, here's another one. Click it or tick it. Huh? Am I right? Yeah, I used to work for the weather service. Turn around, don't drown. You ever heard about that? That was me. That's right. We had fun with stuff like that. They're paying $2.50 per, ga- for, per gallon for gas in Arizona. How does that work? I live near the docks where they're dropping the gas off, and I'm paying $4 a gallon. I haven't paid two fifty since before Bush. Not the president, the band. Glycerine. We had fun about that. I told him I was going to take some home in my Arrowhead bottles and smuggle it across, and then I rubbed my gums like I was snorting it. We just had fun. That's, that's all I'm trying to say. However, the room is being run by a snake. I, can, I, I, f- I feel this way only about, I'd say, four, five people in the business of the thousands that I've met. And uh, he's on that... Uh, FBI most wanted like mugshot on the wall guy. I did a podcast earlier about a New Year's gig, and I'm sure you've listened to all of the back es- episodes of this podcast. I appreciate that. And he is the one that uh, sabotaged. Uh, I was late getting there because of a snowstorm, and I couldn't pass through the mountains without chains, and I couldn't get chains, and I couldn't call because of the reception. So there was a lot going on. At one point, Patty and I were sliding backwards down a mountain, got stuck in someone's lawn. They had to come out with a shovel and cardboard, and I had no idea where we were in New Mexico. I didn't know if they were helping us or if they wanted to keep us. But while this was happening, this uh, comedian was whispering in the ear of the guy at the venue, the manager, of how he should make the headliner money and tell me to turn around and basically trying to, you know, sabotage me. Uh, I got there. We had a great time. Show went well. And then afterward, same, same comedian reported back to the booker, who lives in Arizona, that I worked blue and that it didn't go well. <laughs> I've never worked blue I don't. I can't remember the last f last f bomb that I dropped. Once upon a time, I had a meeting with a higher up in the business, capital B. She told me that if I worked completely clean all the time, that a world of opportunity would open up, and she was right. And I dropped what little blue material I had, and started giving that or selling that. Well, I sell it now. To a couple of comedians whose names I will not mention because it is in poor taste. Speaking of poor taste, this comedian who's now running the casino out in the most beautiful part of Arizona uh, walked in drunk at 6 p.m., red flag, and uh, launched into a story about how the room fell into his hands magically. And uh, it was all... There was another comedian and myself, and we immediately recognized a really kind of gross lie that was happening. He doth protest too much. We didn't ask for this 10-minute story to begin with. But um, then he said something pretty snide about me, and then he 
said something really gross about the uh, the booker that I talked about earlier and I had a conscience crisis so he's telling the story and while he's doing it he keeps nudging me and goes I'm a straight shooter right we go way back and I'm like do you have no <laughs> recollection we never had the confrontation so maybe in his mind he got away with it all and I just was none the wiser but uh, people always find out it's like high school it's exactly like high school people always find out and I excuse myself to go to the bathroom and I don't come back for 20 minutes because I walked upstairs to my room and called Patty and said remind me again what I do in the presence of pure evil I didn't say it like that but uh, I shared a little bit and by the way this is the first time ever a comedian has heckled me while I was on stage it, it boggled my mind and yes he was drunk and he kept leaving to get more drunk or do his bumps or whatever he was doing he kept disappearing and coming back but when he came back I was I was launching into a, a new bit about um, how I watched a special CNN was talking about the poetry of the 60s and I was saying well how did I wonder how the 60s were followed directly by disco it's like the opposite of evolution. If Dylan was the voice of the 60s, who is it for the 70s? Cooling the gang? And he goes, oh, oh, like real big. And everybody looked over like, oh, what, is this racist? What's going on? Should I? And everybody cringed up for a bit that was fra uh, just a fragile seedling of an idea. Uh, so I, I turned uh, and just left the bit alone, didn't go there. And uh, I didn't roast him too much, but I started, I started addressing him in a very direct way and saying, uh, but, you know, telling the jokes to him in a way that made him squirm in order to shut him up. It's one of the many things that you can do to shut up a heckler, but I just uh, never expected it from a comic. So I removed myself, and Patty says, my, my live-in spiritual guru tells me, to simply remove myself from his energy, from his consciousness. Don't give it any breath. Don't give it any... Don't do a podcast about it, certainly. <laughs> certainly. And I did. I, uh, I went back down and I made myself scarce. And I was going over my notes. And, um, and the other comic was really hip to it, the guy I was uh, working with. But it, I, I hope that this casino and this gig does find a better home, a better producer there because it deserves as much the the thing that i have to keep remembering and this seems to be like a thread with other comedians that i've talked to is this intolerance or for injustice like i can't bear to witness injustice or have it done to me and i i have a really hard time not saying something and I am trying to learn to let go and, and open my mouth only when it's necessary and let the universe kind of police itself. And I'm hoping that uh, karma takes care of this guy because <laughs> I wish you could have been there, folks, to, to just sit on the conversation. It was, it was like watching uh, somebody when they get taken in for murder and they're trying to piece it together and they, they're going really slowly and it's, just, it's like bad lying bad drunk lying okay but that's not even my story that's the venting that I do I didn't realize I had so much pent-up aggression until I started doing this podcast <laughs> if I were driving it would just be me with this buzzing in my head <laughs> me in my happy place the story uh, not too long ago every story should start with uh, not too long ago 
I went on, I got a call out of the blue from a company in New York. I can't remember the name, but the acronym was like MAGIC. It's a company that makes wealthy people's wishes come true. <laughs> all, that's the best I could tell you. I don't really understand. It was all very mysterious. It was kind of like your mission if you choose to accept it. And they told me how much I would make, and I said, of course I'll accept it. You don't even have to tell me what it is. But it was very strange, and, and if they had told me, I might have thought about it because it involved picking up supplies and going to a secret rendezvous place that has no address accessible by Google Satellite and directions that I was receiving in real time. Remember the movie Spy with Melissa McCarthy and she's giving instructions to Jude Law uh, as he fights the, the bad guys and she goes, okay, there are three of them coming around the corner. All right, duck now. That's what it felt like. When I got there, the parking lot was full in the nearby uh, state park, so I had to be rerouted. And she goes, okay, I know where you are on the map. Do you see a sign that says a Acorn Tavern? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I do. <laughs> I'm looking around like, uh, is there an eye in the sky somewhere? She goes, okay, you'll go up two streets, and you're going to take a right. And then you're going to go over the – you're going to get out of your car, walk over the train tracks, and go down this S – shaped staircase and that's where you're going to place uh, all of the, the blankets and everything and backing up a little bit on the way there I had to stop by CVS where I would uh, uh, waiting at customer service would be a, a picnic blanket and a basket and two wine glasses and a bottle of champagne it's all paid for and waiting under the name magic then you're going to go to the do it center and then you're going to find tiki torches waiting for you and f torch fuel and a lighter <laughs> and it was it was easy too that's the funny thing i it, it felt like a train wreck about to happen but it all it was just like me stopping at cvs and stopping at do it center and and out i went not that i've ever stopped at the do it center I'm not even sure i own a screwdriver um got that all taken care of and i went down the s-shaped staircase an hour in advance I set it all up and put the tiki torches in lit them because they will stay lit for three hours she checked this woman by the way who called me on the ball like a wedding planner on steroids I mean she thought of everything she thought about the tides and how far they would come in and whether or not the blanket would get wet um, so everything was just well orchestrated and I went down there lit the torches that she knew would burn for three hours and uh, went back to my car which was the place where she would call me when when the client was to arrive with his uh, girlfriend his fiance it was her birthday and this was his big birthday surprise because they live in New York and they both happen to be working on the West Coast so that they were gonna meet in Santa Barbara at this hotel and she goes, okay, your client's, the client's 10 minutes away. I want you to go to Senior Frogs. Waiting under the name Magic will be <laughs> her favorite meal all the way down to the vegetarian this and the no sour cream. And I show up and they, he goes, surprise, honey, this is your, <laughs> this is your inter live entertainment on the beach. And I just show up out of the blue. And uh, there was supposed to be an opera singer with me, by the way. And she punked out at the last second. So I uh, made some jokes at her expense. I go, yeah, just like an opera singer. Me, 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 me. That's how they get to be arrogant. Me, 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 me. Anyway, got a cheap laugh out of that. 
Um, so she, the, the girl, and they, bo- they look like Ken and Barbie, and she's dressed to the nines, and it's a little provocative. You know, it's her big night out, and he's got almost kind of white linen, the white linen shirt draped, like very beachy, and smells like money or expensive cologne. It's hard to tell the difference sometimes. And uh, she's so grateful that they hug and kiss and hug and kiss and hug and kiss. And I started to feel awkward. So I grab my guitar and I turn around and I start playing. And the sun's going down. It's setting. And um, I started playing this everything that I knew to the moon, to the full moon. Yeah, I'm not sure that was orchestrated. But if it was, it would not surprise me <laughs> if they picked the full moon as the date. That's how much thought went into this. I, they put more thought into this than you know some gov- you know armies have put into a coup. Uh, I'm playing everything that I know to the moonlight, and what I realized in that moment is that I never really learn full songs. I just learn enough to goof on the ones <laughs> that I want to make fun of, <laughs> and I only knew a handful of songs all the way through. So I started playing a montage of songs. And uh, sometimes I sang, sometimes I didn't. And that's the other thing. I don't even know the actual lyrics. I just know the, the, the goofy lyrics I come up with. Um, so then it became instrumental. And when I felt that I had put in my time, and it was completely dark, and the water's just lapping gently. And by the way, I'm standing in tar. Remember that oil spill in Santa Barbara? Yeah. Uh, it, d- it hasn't gone away. It's, uh, I took a lot of it home with me. On my sandals, my expensive Saks Fifth Avenue sandals, I had no business wearing at the beach. And it is, if you haven't tried to get that off, I'll fast forward, but I actually use the torch fuel from the tiki torches to get the, the oil off of my shoes. And it took an hour. I did not get paid for that hour. But I should have been paid for this gig because after I thought, should have been paid overtime, that is, because after I thought that I had completely put in the time, I, I went to them and I go, you know, this has been beautiful. I feel like I'm on the set of The Bachelor and you're the last rose and now you're going to ride off on an elephant together. And it's been a pleasure. And they go, oh, no, no, no. We want you to do comedy. <laughs> and I'm like, really? Really? Like they, they were kind of like rounding second just minutes earlier. I'm like, okay. Um, and I go, well, how about I just uh, you know do it the way I would if you were a group of people? And I started doing my you know, sharing my life with them. And uh, they were laughing at everything. And I found that you can do comedy for two people if those two people are Ken and Barbie and a little buzzed on champagne. No, they were fantastic. I love to see people like that succeed. They felt like genuinely decent people. And it's probably because they were laughing at me. I'd say that for anybody who laughed at me. And didn't heckle me, huh, from the audience. Goon the gang, ugh. Not that I'm dwelling, but um, I did my jokes. I played some goofy guitar things for them, and I, 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 20 minutes later, I go, okay, I now I have to get home. I got, I got stuff to do at home, which I didn't. I probably had to watch America. Oh, I was getting hungry. That's what it was. And they didn't even eat their food. The well-timed. I hit all the beats. I got it right at the proper minute, and they didn't eat it. And it was cold. And I was thinking about that while I was doing my comedy, and I didn't want to mention it because I want to make them feel bad. I was on a roll. Uh, and I had a lot of jokes about the situation and the moon, and the, the, the longshoremen and all kinds of stuff that kind of kept us in the moment together. It was fun. We had a great time. And, uh, I left, went back to my car 
and tried to get the pound the the tar out of my shoes and as i mentioned doesn't work out that way you need you need something a little more severe like turpentine i looked it up online and it was going to take torch fuel and vegetable oil and you freeze it and then you chip it off you go buy a hammer from the do it center but I called Miss Moneypenny, let her know that it went well. I sent her photos. She was texting me satellite photos of where I needed to be while I was driving. It was, it was completely insane. I realized that if you have something that's orchestrated in a military way, you can accomplish things that, uh, you know, I wouldn't, even, I wouldn't have even imagined it. I didn't even know I had that in me. I feel like James Bond. I'm the James Bond of comedy now. Yeah, <laughs> God help us. But uh, she was very happy, and I sent her photos of th- of the two, and then they wanted me in the picture. And by the way, when I was setting up the torches and the picnic blanket, two of the locals walked by, a couple, and uh, they applauded me because of the romantic gesture. <laughs> and, and I'm s- to show you the kind of person I am, the emptiness inside me. I said thank you. Didn't explain. That I had, that I was just a hired hand. I do booger jokes, but um, I didn't really have time to explain. And and I just wanted them. I wanted to give that to them, let them think that I was this romantic guy. So um, I called Miss Moneypenny, called it a night, and drove home and did my best to explain it to Patty. And uh, that was that. I hoped that I can work for them again. I, I don't even have their phone number. I'll probably be killed shortly after this podcast goes online, to be honest. Or maybe next time they need me, they'll just give me that uh, James Bond, my shoe will ring, and I'll answer it. <laughs> I'll have satellite images of where I should show up. Maybe it'll be something else, some other escapade. Maybe we could skydive while I'm playing the guitar and, and marrying a couple, something easier. That's my story. I appreciate you tuning in. I'll smell you later.